0: Hi, this is John Heminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope Broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. Is it possible to think that you are saved and ready for heaven, but to be sincerely wrong about that? As Jesus concludes his message that we now call the Sermon on the Mount, Christ warns you and I about that very possibility. Listen to our Lord's own words as found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These statements of Jesus have to be some of the most sobering words found in the Bible. I pray that you will listen as Pastor Jones explains Christ's final words in the Sermon on the Mount.
1: Some of you older folks might remember the name Bob Harris as a weatherman for the WPIX TV out of New York City back in the '70s. Um, he was um, um, had a, had a gone to college and studied math, physics, and geology at three different uh, colleges, but he left each school without a degree. But he still had a strong desire to be a media weatherman, and so he called. WCBS TV introducing himself as a PhD in geophysics from Columbia University. Well, the phony degree got him in the door, and after a two-month tryout, he was hired as an off-camera forecaster for WCBS, and eventually was put out in front of the cameras and uh, and was a, a weatherman on TV. Oh, well, for the next decade or so, his career flourished. He became widely known as Dr. Bob, and. He was uh, hired by the New York Times as well as a consultant meteorologist the same year the Long Island Railroad asked for his uh, help. And then the baseball commissioner, uh, Bowie Kuhn, even uh, hired him uh, to help uh, with the baseball uh, forecasting. Well, he's living his childhood dream. He's about 40 years of age now, but in 1979, he found himself in public disgrace when an anonymous letter prompted WCBS management to investigate his academic credentials. Both the station and the New York Times, upon learning that he had lied to them, uh, fired him. His story got attention across the land. Uh, He was on the Today Show, uh, um, the Tomorrow Show, People Weekly, among others. He he thought he'd lose uh, his home and never work in the media again. Several days later... The Long Island Railroad in Bowie Coon announced that they would not fire him, so at least he had those two jobs still. And then uh, WNEW-TV gave him a job, and he admits um, now that he made a dreadful mistake on his part, and doubtless it played probably a major role in his uh, divorce. Here's what he said. He said, I took a shortcut that turned out to be the long way around. One day the bill came due. I will be sorry as long as I'm alive. Well, you know, um, Bob Harris experienced something that tragically a lot of people are going to experience in a far worse way when they stand before the Lord. And it comes out that they were really fakes all along. Uh, We're in the last part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. We're examining verses 21 to 27. And uh, Christ has been talking about... uh, uh, as he's been illustrating, about genuine salvation. And, and he's been uh, using four simple illustrations to drive home his points. The first was two gates. There was the wide, broad gate that leads to destruction uh, or hell. And then there is, the, there is the very narrow gate that leads to life. And, and so the lesson behind the two gates is, is danger. There is a real danger in, miss, in missing genuine salvation. Then Jesus talked about two roads. Once you go through the um, the the wide gate, there's a there's a broad road leading to destruction. It means that you can be just about anywhere you want on that road, but it's heading in the wrong direction. Uh, if you go through the narrow gate, then there's a very narrow way that leads to life. And and what Jesus is pointing out is difficulty that that there's a difference when you're on your the road to heaven. It's it's a difficult road. It's not easy. A lot of people won't like you for your stand for the Lord. A lot of people uh, are going to think that that you're crazy or going to get irritated with you for trying to share your faith. Uh, There are a lot of difficult decisions to make, but the difficult road is the right road. Then Jesus gave an example, we looked at this last week, of the two trees. And this was to try to help us to understand the need for discernment, to discern a, a true teacher of the Word of God from a false one. And, and so we saw that the, the, the two, tr- two trees are evidenced by fruit. The, the false teacher has evil fruit on his tree. And it comes out of his words, what he's actually teaching people, false doctrines that are against the scriptures. And it also comes out of his works, the way he lives. Many of these false teachers live extravagant lives, taking advantage of, of people uh, who are innocently trying to give toward God and his work. And yet these people uh, are, are living uh, extravagantly, selfishly, hedonistically even. And uh, the reality is that by their lips and by their lives, they're showing that they're false teachers. Now today, we're getting into one more uh, simple illustration that Jesus gives as he wraps it up. And it's the two foundations. And uh, the danger here is one of deception, the fact is that it is easily easy to be deceived into thinking you're saved merely because you know the truth, even though you don't practice it. And what Christ is warning us of here is to beware of deceiving yourself about your salvation. Because quite honestly, it is easy to be deceived into thinking you're on the, your way to heaven when you're actually blinded by your sin and your disobedience to God. I don't know if Bob Harris ever got to the place where he... Uh, kind of um, believed his own lie. That sometimes happens with people. But uh, the reality is Bob Harris was acting. He was acting like uh, he the, like he was a, um, a man who had earned a doctorate in geophysics, and the reality is he hadn't. He was pretending. The word hypocrite in the scripture means to act, to put on the face. And what Jesus is warning us of first here in verse 21 is against hypocrisy. This is what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's interesting what he's saying here. From this statement of Christ, we can conclude, first of all, that many claim to be followers of Christ who are not. And and I and run into them, Uh, frequently, and I'm sure you do too. And the the reality is, because we cannot see the heart of man, we don't know who is being sincere about their faith in Christ and who is not. But that will be sorted out one day when we stand before God in heaven. Many claim to be followers of Christ uh, who are not. Uh, The second is there's a dividing line between the saved and the lost. And it's not by what they claim to believe, it's by what they do. Here's how he put it again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, there's what they claim. Oh, Lord, Lord, I, we know you, we want to serve you, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So the dividing line between the saved and the lost is not the claims that they say they believe, but what they actually practice. So not everyone who claims to have Christ as Savior is a child of God. I've run into people in prison, several, many, actually. Uh, uh, probably the majority of people that I visited in prison would have claimed some knowledge of God. Uh, I remember uh, uh, going to see one particular man who had, who had committed a brutal murder, and uh, I don't think he claimed to know God, and, and I was able to talk to him about Christ, and, and I believe we have helped him. He made a profession of faith. Again, God only knows. Um, a number of people, uh, of, uh, Months ago, our church was broken into. Uh, it was actually a, a man and a woman, and uh, uh, I think they both were on drugs at the time looking for some money. They uh, actually got out on the media, and, uh, and, and the, the man eventually was arrested, and so was the woman. She, she confessed first, and I had a chance to, I, I said, well, if you, if you catch uh, the man, I'd like to talk to him. I didn't know that there was more than one person. And so when they, they were able to uh, determine the, the man that had done the crime, they, uh, the police gave me a call. They said, if you want to come down and talk to him, we're about to, he had violated parole. He was about to be sent away. He said, you, you can come down and talk to him. Well, well I uh, uh, felt that was a real opportunity. So I went down, not, not to yell at him and, and to try to shame him for what he had done. I wanted to share the gospel with him. And here's a man did not claim to know Christ, said he was terribly embarrassed by what he had done. Uh, had a chance to share the fact that the Lord would forgive and God would work in his life. And uh, actually, before I could finish what I wanted to say to him, the officers came to take him to the state penitentiary because, he, again, he'd violated parole. And that was the last I saw of him. Uh, but you know, I've, I've, there's, there are many people sitting in prison tonight um, uh, who claim to be uh, Christians even while they were committing their crimes. Um, is it possible for a Christian to do a horrific act? I, I, yes, it is. Unfortunately, there are Christians who commit uh, terrible uh, sins against God and other people. Uh, could be a, a crime of passion. could be a, a habit like a drug uh, addiction that has just gotten a hold of them. Uh, there's no doubt that, that that can happen. But there are also many people who claim to be children of God, and the reality is their lives are telling us that they're, that they're fakes. And so Jesus is saying, not everyone who prays is a child of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. It's interesting that they're crying out, Jesus said to me. So they're not just praying to a God out there somewhere. They're actually praying to Jesus. And he's saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Are there people that pray to Jesus and are not truly converted? The answer Jesus says is yes. Yes. Why? Well, because he goes on to say, this is the person that's going to heaven. He who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Only the one who demonstrates genuine faith by obeying God is the person who is saved. Now, some of you may be thinking at this point, I thought that works have no part in your salvation. Doesn't Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the Bible clearly tells that. The Bible does not teach that good works, like helping your neighbor or going faithfully to church or reading your Bible or treating others as you would want to be treated, those good works do not produce salvation. But it does teach that genuine salvation produces good works. And there is a difference. My father went to Bible school with a man named Dale Baker Um, who served as a missionary in the Central African Republic for over 30 years. In his travels, Dale picked up one of those talking birds, and I forget exactly the the type it was, but it was one of the ones that really can speak well. And uh, this bird was excellent at imitating voices, even the noises that it heard. It could imitate uh, Dale's voice and call the dog. It could imitate the ring of the telephone and even sound like Dale's wife talking on, on one end of the conversation yet it is self-evident that being able to sound like a human does not make one a human that was still a bird and so tragically there are a lot of people who think because they can imitate the words of a true follower of Christ or even imitate some of the actions of a true follower of Christ it makes them a true follower of Christ it does not so there are many times when 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 Christian people when when um, uh, Christian people are 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 joined by those who come along with them and, and claim to be Christians, but who in fact have never repented of their sins and turned to Christ as Savior. And I, I I wonder if I'm speaking even this day to someone, maybe more than one, who fit that category. Here's the principle: saved people do good works, but good works do not save people. It's sort of like the cart and the horse. If you think of the cart um, as your works and the horse as the faith that uh, gives uh, power and life to your works, Um, there are some people that think you can go to heaven by doing your good deeds. That's the classic putting the cart before the horse. It's like giving to God, others, church attendance, volunteering at the fire department, ambulance corps, uh, something like that. That's the way to get to heaven. That's putting the cart before the horse. It's 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 trying to do works in order to make me a Christian. Others think that you need both. You need faith and works to be saved, and that's putting the cart alongside the horse, uh, representing your good deeds. Thinking that yeah, I've got a yeah, I've got to trust Christ, but I've got to do some other things as well that that make me uh, uh, truly put me over the top, so to speak, as a Christian. No, that's not true either. The cart and the horse don't go side by side. Some people think that you can be saved. While living just like the devil. So you can just, you know, give your, just pray a certain prayer, live any way you want to live, and you're, you're going to be fine. That's detaching the cart from the horse. That doesn't work either. The truth is that genuine faith in God is the horse. That's salvation. You have to have that. And then when you have salvation, that salvation is going to produce works in your life. The cart will follow the horse. And so Jesus is saying that the person that, that is, is just calling out "Lord, Lord," and acting like a, uh, you know a believer like everybody else, but doesn't live the faith is showing that he doesn't really believe. I'm sitting in, uh, at this moment in our church's family center, quite a large building. If someone came through the door and said, uh, "The building is on fire, my reaction would be based upon whether or not I truly believed what that person was saying. If if they came through and it was someone I knew to 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 uh, um, kind of be a practical jokester type of person, I may uh, sit here for a minute and 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 question with them. Maybe check out the expression on that person's face. Are they are they really sincere or not? But if that at some point that person. Is able to convince me that they are serious, that there is a fire in the building. That immediately moves me to action. I'm going to make sure no one else is in the building. I'm going to try to save anything that really would be necessary. That would be something that we would definitely want to hang on to. We'd want to definitely call the fire department, uh, um, etc. There'd be things that we would just we would have to do because we believe that the building is on fire. So it is, when someone says, I believe that there is a heaven, I believe there's a hell, I believe that Jesus is the Savior, when you truly believe that, it, it absolutely changes the way you live. If I believe that, that, that there's a heaven, there's a hell, Jesus is the Savior and the only one, I, that, that, that just dictates to me that I need to share that information with other people. If God's changed my life, then I, I will definitely want to share that with people whose lives need to be changed. A genuine faith will definitely produce works. Real faith produces real works. The horse will pull that cart. So Jesus then warns us against a self-deception. He's already told us there will be people standing before me who have said, Lord, Lord, oh, we believe in you and all these wonderful things. And the truth is, he's he's, he's now warning us that that you and I can be self-deceived. So let's notice how he puts it. That's verse 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, and the day he's talking about is the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, this is a real danger. Notice the picture. The picture is one of of God's great white throne judgment when the lost of all the ages are brought before God. And look with me as Jesus describes what he knows will be uh, the scene here. That is, he says that not just a few, he says many will be lost who thought they were saved. They're surprised to be there among the lost. These are people who... By their own admission, by their own testimony, they prophesied or they preached in Jesus' name. Now, the definition uh, of the word prophesied here, uh, let me take it. it's out of uh, a lexicon that I really like um, by actually a husband and wife. Um, it says this generally spe- of speaking with the help of divine inspiration, proclaim what God wants to make known to preach or expound. So these people are actually saying, God, we preached with your help. That's what they thought they did. Now, it's interesting. So they're they're claiming that the Holy Spirit basically spoke through them. We preached in your name. It would be hard to lie to God at this point. This is what they're thinking happened. We thought we preached in your name and with your power. Which means this, at this judgment, this judgment of the lost of all the ages, we call it the Great White Throne Judgment. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 20. He is saying that there are pastors, there are priests, there are religious leaders who preach the word of God who will be there as lost people. There are evangelists who will be there. There are Sunday school teachers who will be there. There are people who went to the mission field who will be there. And many other people who may have skillfully and effectively taught God's word, college professors who will be there. I remember um hearing of a of a of a man who taught in Bible schools throughout the the country who was absolutely a fake. A couple of men tried to uh, talk to him right um before, uh, when he was sick of of a of a major uh, sexually uh, transmitted disease and the man just basically turned away his his face from them and wouldn't even talk to them. Seems clear that that, that these uh, people who are among the lost, they, th- that many of them may have even left this life confident or at least fairly confident of the fact that they were on their way to heaven, for they are all trying to tell God he has made a grave mistake about them. They were claiming that God enabled them to preach in Jesus' name. He said, they said, we prophesied in your name. And then they say this to the Lord. They're saying this to Jesus we 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 cast out uh, demons in your name. Now, some who perform miracles in Christ's name evidently will be there. Then, one notable person that comes to my mind is Judas. Judas is one of the twelve disciples. Uh what, we, what he did during his ministry as a disciple, we, we're not uh, specifically told. But we do know this. We know that Jesus gave his disciples powers to cast out demons at a, a specific time of his ministry so they could expand what he was doing. We also know that when, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, the disciples didn't all look around and say, well, I bet it's Judas. He's not been doing anything. They, they weren't saying that. They were all asking Jesus, is it, is it I? Is it possible to do great things that people look up to and say, wow, what a wonderful Christian person? And yet that person truly had never repented himself or herself. There, there is a real possibility. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that's going to happen. Here, sorry, put it in another place. Many that are uh, last shall be first, and the first last. They, they say, but Lord, we, you've got to have us in the wrong spot. We, we, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And then they say this, we do, we've done many wonders in your name. These are people that, that again, they, they say, well, uh, we've, we've done wonderful things. Maybe they went on a missions trip. Maybe here's a person that sang in the choir for years and years. Maybe directed the choir. Here's the president of, of the youth group. Here's another person that's a Christian school or a Christian college student. Here's another person that taught at a Christian college. Here's maybe the the person that that, uh, uh, ran a rescue mission or a soup kitchen, helped clothe and feed and care for the poor and sick and and understand these are all good things to do. But by no means will all those who are involved in these type of activities uh, are be truly converted people. There, there, are Tragically, Jesus is saying, there are many people who will stand before me and they thought they were saved. And Jesus is clearly saying then that some of those people that we would count as definitely a Christian people are truly lost and will be shown to be lost on that awful day. So the question is, what identifies the lost um, among these religious people how How is it that God identifies these people as, as, no, you never were a true follower of me? Well, I want to go back and read you again what Jesus says to them in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. So it's not that these people at one time were his followers and they were genuinely his children, that they had genuinely repented of their sin and then had done something to offend the Lord it's, it's, Jesus is not saying that at all. He's saying, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He's saying, you never were truly born again. Uh, we uh, have talked about uh, on this program that, that salvation is not in a denomination. It's not in a church. Salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so uh, th- there are many people Oh, they've bought into their church or they bought into their denomination or they bought into their area of service or, or their volunteerism. But the reality is they've been trying to skip Jesus and they're skipping God and that's not going to work. And so Jesus is saying, you never were mine. It's not that you were mine and then and then you did something to offend me because the Lord actually tells us in John 6:37, "He that comes to me I will never cast out." So this is not a person that came and then somehow lost it. This is a person that never came. Acted like they came. They were hypocrites. These people are hypocrites. Their faith was never genuine. Their faith was never real. Jesus never knew them. That is, they did not lose their salvation. They never had it. Oh, they may have prayed at some point. Imagine that maybe many of them uh, to whom Christ is referring had had been baptized at some point, whether at in infancy or sometime later. Many of these people would probably have considered themselves true believers. As a matter of fact, these people are speaking definitely dead at their funerals. I can see loved ones and friends comforting each other by saying that they were looking forward to seeing them again in heaven, and yet these people were lost. Jesus is saying they were always lost. I never knew you. And then he says something else. Depart from me. That means they're headed toward hell. They're not heading toward heaven. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, the, re- the reality was they were acting. And yes, they had done some things that they could point to. Oh, we went to the nursing home and we had services. And we sang in the choir or I preached a sermon or I preached a whole multitude of sermons, or I went to the mission field, but the reality was this their whole lifestyle, oh, you can take those exceptions, but their whole lifestyle was not of, of, of obedience to God, it was lawlessness. Jesus said, You practiced lawlessness. So let me ask you a question. If God's laws that are clearly stated in His Word differ from your desire, who wins? Do God's commands cause you to change your course? Or do you practice lawlessness? Let me give you some examples. How about in your speech? You know, a lot of people are taking God's name in vain today. You see it all over the place, and it's becoming so commonplace. Whereas an uh, expression, we say, oh my, and we put God's name in there. We know. The scripture says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And God will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Does that matter to you? Or does it really not matter? How about your dress? Is there such a thing as modesty and appropriateness and thinking about others? Absolutely. And do we care about those type of things? What about your thought life? We say, well, no one knows what I'm thinking. It doesn't. Well, God does. Are you practicing lawlessness, uh, disobedience, wickedness in your thought life? How about your relationships? Are you practicing God's rules for morality with your, with your, uh, those of you that are maybe dating or single? Are you practicing God's rules of morality as a married person? What go, what are you you allowing across your computer screen? What are you feeding on? How about your honesty? Is what determines your honesty whether or not I'll get caught? How about when we when we fill out our income taxes each year? What about um, all kinds of areas? Are we taking money under the table? When God says that, that I ought to be honest, does that make a difference in how I live? How about your testimony? Are you concerned about how you represent God? Now, I know some may be saying at this point, but Pastor Lane, you're scaring me. Well, that's what do you think Jesus is trying to do here? I'm merely telling you what he said. And woe to me if I soften it. It is obvious that Christ would rather scare you into honestly looking at the reality of your salvation than to leave you with a false sense of comfort as some of you drift towards God's eternal judgment. Please do not stake your soul on what you say you believe. Tell me what you practice. Does obedience to God matter to you? Why do you obey? Is it because of what people are going to say or because of what God will say? Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now does a sheep perfectly follow the shepherd? No, but that's the tendency of the sheep. He wants to follow and that should be the tendency of the true child of God. Let's say I'm flying to a distant city and I'm uh, happy to sit down next to a guy who's quite small. You know how on those planes these days, they try to many times cram you in and and they don't get a lot of, 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 of elbow room or, or leg room. Well, well, I'm sitting by a guy and he's about 5'6 and about 130 pounds. And so we're going to have a little bit of room, both of us, and we're kind of content about that. So as we're riding, we get talking. And I ask him what he does for a living. Well, he tells me uh, that he p- plays professional football in the NFL. Now if you know at least a little bit about professional football you would know that the players who make it to the NFL are normal are normally quite large and muscular so if you still assume that this man is telling me the truth um, your jump your mind would jump where my mind would and that is well there's probably only one possible position this guy could play it at, at a, a five six 130 pounds so I ask him are you a field- goal kicker Well, he looks at me slightly hurt as he emphatically tells me, no, I'm not a kicker. Are you kidding me? I'm an offensive lineman. Now, at this point, I'd be wondering if this man is either a bold-faced liar or if he's delusional. Why? Well, in 2019, the lightest offensive lineman in the NFL was a center by the name of Jason Kelsey, played for the Eagles. Um, This would be the lightest of the starters, I believe. Uh, He was 295 pounds at 6'3". Let me put it to you this way. Not every man who is about 300 pounds is an offensive lineman in the NFL, but almost every offensive lineman in the NFL weighs at least 300 pounds. So when my new friend tells me that he plays offensive line at 5'6", 130, my only question is whether he is joking, maybe taking me for a fool, or whether he is out of his mind. You know, it's bad to be self-deceived about your job, but it is far worse to be self-deceived about your soul. And there are tragically people walking around living ungodly lives, and quite honestly, a lot of their friends and neighbors can tell, this person is an actor. This person's a hypocrite. They're not what a Christian is. And the only one who really hasn't figured that one out is the person himself. Now there are other people that are quite good at their act. And so they can appear and they can talk the right way and they can they can go to all the all the things that Christians go to. And yet God knows. God knows they've never humbled their hearts before God. They've never admitted, "I'm a sinner that deserves eternal punishment in hell. I deserve God's wrath. I need Jesus to die who died for me. I need him as my Lord and my savior." I want him to run my life. There are many people who've never done that and yet like to go to all the Christian events and talk to Christianese. And Jesus is saying they're not going to get away with it when they stand before me. Now, then Jesus gives us the example of the, uh, of the two foundations to help us to avoid being self-deceived. And um, so notice the first one is the solid foundation. Jesus says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. This is the solid foundation. And I want you to notice what Christ, how he describes his faith. He says, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. So, couple of things that Jesus says about this man's faith. First of all, he listens to Christ. That means he attends uh, to the Word of God. Now, How would you do this? Well, faithfulness in church is one way to do it, Or you hear the Word of God. Make, make sure you go to a church that preaches the Word of God so you hear it. Uh, number two, he's involved possibly in, in studying the Scriptures for himself. That's another way we can listen to Christ today. And then even uh, on a daily basis, having uh, time in the Word of God yourself. We call it personal devotions, where you, where you talk to the Lord and you also read His Word. Now uh, these are ways we can listen to the Lord. There's you can also uh, uh, find uh, some preachers that you can understand on the radio, or, or uh, you have to be careful again, but on television that type of thing. He listens to Christ, but then Jesus said he he hears these things, mind, but he also does them. He practices what Christ tells him to do. Thus, when Christ says something is wrong, he moves to get away from it. When Christ says something is right, he tries to practice it. This does not mean he does not struggle with sin, but it means that his heart has been changed to believe what God says and thus to strive to do what he commands. And as a result of that, over time, there's this change in his life toward greater obedience and faithfulness to God. We had a a, a real good a dog uh, in my um, probably young adult years, uh, called him Rusty. He was kind of a golden retriever, a collie mix. As a puppy, you know, he was always a, he was always a, a very friendly dog, a very good-natured dog. But as a puppy, there would be times when he'd run off and he wouldn't come back. But you know, as the older he got, the more obedient he got to the place where you could pretty well rely on the fact that if you asked him to come or you gave him a a, a command that he understood, he would he would follow it. He just became more and more obedient as time went along. Well, that's how Christians ought to be. The fact is, we ought to grow more like the Lord Jesus as time goes by. And when that's not happening, when when a Christian starts straying from the Lord, that that Christian's miserable because uh, he knows that if he doesn't repent and get rid of his sin and and self-centeredness, God's not going to chasten him, but he just doesn't have that peace and joy that he normally would. So basically... As a sheep, you should spend time with and obey your shepherd. You should you should be growing more and more obedient to the Lord as time goes along. Then uh, the, in verse 25, this guy who has the solid foundation, Christ describes uh, something coming into his life. He says, he says, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So, Christ is describing something like a major storm that hits this believer's life. You could fill in the blank. It could be a tremendous financial loss. It could be a health issue. It could be a marriage problem. It could be some unexplained, or one maybe even appears to be senseless tragedy that that hits his life. It could be, um, um, sometimes something that, that has no meaningful order, but in the, um, but, but at the same time, it, there's this uh, situation that comes in and, and, um, Again, could be something with one of his children, could be a, a work-related issue, but it's a major problem that comes into his life. It's 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 a storm. But did you notice what Christ said about his reaction? The house doesn't fall because it's founded on a rock. This individual remains steady. His faith holds. Um, and what would be the rock here? I would argue that the rock is Jesus' teachings and his relationship with the Lord. Uh, from that we uh, we uh, get through knowing him through the scriptures primarily, and this man has built upon and tied himself to obedience to jesus' words, and thus Jesus' words are the rock, and the man's obedience uh, has tied himself to them, and the storms of life don't tear him away. I had a picture when I was preaching this in my church of a of a uh, a lighthouse in a storm, and uh, of course you build them. To take a storm, you know they're going to be along the coast. Often they're sitting on a, uh, on, a on a rock area, and uh, they're they're built to to weather uh, bad storms. Well, the second guy Jesus mentions is in verse twenty six and twenty seven. He builds on the sandy foundation. It says, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now, Jesus describes this man's faith, too. He also listened to Christ. He hears these sayings of mine. This means he may attend the same events the true believer attends with the same degree of regularity. There is not a stated difference in the act of listening to Christ between the two men. Therefore, he may be at the same church services, the same Bible studies, even doing uh, some personal time at home, uh, studying the Word of God. He hears, but the difference is he does not put Christ's teachings into practice. He does not do them. If the man does not obey Christ's teachings, and that's really what it's saying, what practice is he following? Well, obviously, he's living for his own sinful choices and thus practicing lawlessness. Can you follow the scene as this guy who has been shocked that God would condemn what he would call himself, a loyal servant like himself, to hell? Can you imagine, as now God shows him publicly what his life really was like? How do you think this will hold up under God's complete scrutiny? How would your life hold up? So are you practicing obedience to God, or is it well, you know, hey, I helped my neighbor, I took a pie to him the other week, and I did this, and I, I you know I've joined the ambulance corps and I'm on the fire department and okay, but what about your the other twenty three hours of the day? How are you living? Are you following God? does does what he say says matter to you, or are you really following yourself and your own desires? So Christ, again, describes a trial coming into this man's life. He says, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. And you'll notice the description, again, is the same. It's the idea that, that believers and fake believers can go through the same kind of problems. Genuine believers, as well as fake believers, can experience trouble. But the difference is that the man who built his house on the sand, his house fell, and great was its fall. He's knocked off his attachment to the beliefs he claimed to hold. Is there any hope for this guy? Well, years ago I learned from a study of the book of Jonah that when God gives a warning, there is an understood opportunity for mercy if one will repent, even if that mercy is not formally offered. When Jonah went through Nineveh, he didn't even offer mercy. Here's what he said, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. But the very fact that God sent his prophet to warn those people meant that God didn't want to bring that judgment. If you recall the story, the people of Nineveh uh, believed what Jonah had said, and as a result of genuinely believing what Jonah said, they repented and God forgave them. So would God be, let's say that you've been a hypocrite for years, and and if you died, everyone would think you're a believer, but the tragedy, the reality is you know that you're not. I'm telling you this, Christ is warning you today, and you have still a chance to turn from the Lord if you are willing to repent of your sins and stop playing the game, stop acting like the Christian that you really aren't at this point. If you are willing to accept Christ and repent, If you are willing to listen to Christ now, then God will forgive and save you. Repent of your unbelief. Come to Christ for true forgiveness and salvation. And come to know what a living faith is really all about. There's a friend of mine, his name is Frank Perry. He's a missionary uh, for a number of years down in Panama. And before that, he was a pastor, a godly man. And um, uh, how Frank was converted, he grew up in a godly home. But um, and knew all though you know went to church like everybody else did in his family, uh, complied, didn't really want to, but he complied. Frank went into the military, and there he began to live more like he wanted to live as an adult. Frank had a friend, thank the Lord, who was a godly Christian, and one day Frank's close friend said something like this to him, "If your life is representative of what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to be one." Well, that shook Frank to the core of his, of his being, and he realized he'd been faking it all these years. And you know what Frank did? Frank repented of being a hypocrite. Frank gave his heart to Jesus Christ, and Frank's life radically changed. God did a great work in him and through him ever since. It's interesting that many people, tragically, have, have uh, played the hypocrite, in the name of Christ, who aren't true believers. And, and, and the sad thing is, many unbelievers use them as excuses for not becoming Christians, when in reality, they're, they're actually um, in the same boat that the unbeliever's in. Um, they're just claiming something they don't have. So what do we conclude from this? Well, first of all, to identify Jesus as your Lord while practicing lawlessness is hypocrisy. Here's how Jesus put it in Luke 646. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Good question, isn't it? You have to conclude, secondly, that to identify Jesus as your Lord while practicing lawlessness is actually self-deceiving. It's, it, it, it can become the place where you believe your own lie. Here was the warning, Hebrews chapter tw- uh, 3, verse 12 and 13. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We can become hardened and and start believing the lie and even walk away from a faith, but the reality is that faith was never truly embraced. A man by the name of Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was um, born, I believe, in 1916, something like that, Toronto, Canada. And as a 21-year-old man, Templeton made a profession of faith, supposedly was born again, uh, actually began to preach, uh, became an evangelist. And before the days when Billy Graham became well known, Templeton was considered to be the leading evangelist in uh, evangelical circles. Um, it's interesting, Templeton ended up going off to, because he really didn't know much when he was preaching. So uh, after a while, after a few years, he went off to Princeton University, uh, which for um, tragically for many years now has denied the faith that it once embraced. And there he lost whatever faith he had. And uh, a few years after coming out of there, I think it was 19, maybe 57, Templeton comes out and says that he is an agnostic. And he would stay that way until, um, as far as we know, until his death. What the Lord is telling us here is a person like that, um, at least, now by the way, he took the mask off, didn't he? At least he didn't fake it. But the reality is, it's not that he had salvation and he lost it somehow. He never had it in the first place. You don't deny the Lord like that and have truly had salvation. Jesus warns that many self-deceived hypocrites will be exposed on Judgment Day. Many will say to me in that day, not just a few, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied and all these things? Fourth thing we have to conclude is that another way to evaluate one's faith is how he or she handles trials. Do they cause you to cling to God and his word all the more? Or do they knock you off your faith? And you see even in families uh, when a tragedy hits, uh, people who uh, would have claimed to genuinely know Christ as Savior will have two different reactions. And many times the reality is because there is there are some in the family that truly believe and there are others that really have never Truly, come to faith in Christ. Here's what happened when Jesus and and his disciples uh, were were very popular, and then Christ did not say what the crowd wanted him to say, and as a result of that, multitudes walked away from Jesus. This is in John chapter 6, and I'm reading from verse 67 to 69. Then said Jesus to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter says, where else are we going to go? We believe in you. And of course, even among them, and by the way, Jesus would comment on it in that very same situation, I have chosen you twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. So even though Judas stayed at that moment, um, and I, I'm not sure exactly what his motive was, but he stuck with the group at that moment. He still was not a genuine believer, and Jesus commented on it at that point. Now, how do we apply this? Well, first of all, you need to examine your own heart, not just look at, oh, somebody else should hear this. Here's what Second Corinthians 13.5 says. Examine yourselves, whether you are in the faith, and that's what you need to do. Does my life bear out that I truly believe? Number two, if you are convicted, act on it. For there is a window of opportunity to repent. There's another message of Jesus. We'll get to it uh, one day, Lord willing, on the radio. I've already gotten to it with my congregations. It's found in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. And in that particular passage, there's a tree that is not bearing fruit. Again, it's the picture of a person who is not genuine. And the the owner of the vineyard um, uh, it's, uh, uh, the owner of the, it's, a, it's, it's like a gardener area, he he owns the fig tree. He says, well, why is it cumbering the ground? Let's, let's just cut it down. And one of the workers said, well, why don't I stir it up one more time? I'm going to dig around it, going to try to fertilize it. And if it doesn't bear fruit this time, then you can cut it down. And what Jesus was showing by that parable is that there's a limited window of opportunity that you have. To repent and turn to the Lord. And then, thirdly, do not assume your loved ones are all saved just because they claim to be. In John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said this I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. The one that doesn't bear fruit that's taken away is a picture of an unbeliever. I remember a number of years ago, my grandfather was dying. And a, a godly friend of mine, um, uh, actually a relative, my uncle, was at his bedside as I tried to speak to him. My grandfather had lived a wicked life. He had been... Um, He had been disloyal to my grandmother, uh, just a number of things that had gone on. I'd been very resistant to anyone trying to share the gospel with him for years. But for whatever reason, God gave me an opportunity with him. As I'm standing there at his bedside and very concerned about his soul, trying to reach out to him, my uncle well meaningly said, Well, you know, your grandfather says that he accepted Christ when he was a teenager. And at that point, it really made me um, angry in my soul at that point because I'm thinking to myself, I am not going to let my grandfather die on a vain hope that somehow this man was saved when I have seen his life and it is not the fruit of a Christian. And so I would just strongly urge and beg those of you who truly know Christ as Savior, don't use the excuse that, oh, you know, so-and-so prayed when they were when when they were young, if their life is not bearing out the fruit of a Christian, you need to be praying and asking God. because You don't know their their heart, but you, you need to be praying and asking God that if they're not truly His follower, that the Lord will turn their heart and bring them to Himself because the environment saves nobody. Just going to church, being in uh, active in church, being even the pastor of a church that does not save anyone. It is repentance and acceptance of Christ as my Lord and Savior a personal relationship with Him that is eternal life. Let's pray. Father, help. We, we know that there are people who have listened today who are genuinely saved and we're grateful for that, but there are others who may have believed that they are because of the different things that they've done, different activities that they've gone to, different things they belong to, and Lord, we do not want them to leave this life unprepared because they've never come by the way of the cross. They've never repented of their sins. Realize that they're the sinner that You died, that Christ died for and asked him to forgive and save them from the from the literal hell that they deserve. I pray for any who have never taken that step, that today would be the day we might bless them, Lord, and give them courage to examine their own hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: At the end of his message, Pastor Jones talked about being burdened for his grandfather as he was dying because though the man claimed to be a follower of Jesus, he had lived an ungodly life. There is a happy ending to that story. The incident of which Pastor spoke happened in a nursing home as his grandfather, whose name was Claude, lay unconscious and almost totally deaf. Yet a few days later, God gave Pastor Jones another opportunity to share Christ with Claude. Just two days before he died, through very unusual circumstances, Pastor Jones was able to speak to his grandfather privately when Claude's mind was clear and pastor's grandfather prayed to receive Christ. Here was a man who, at least when he was around Christians, claimed to be a follower of Jesus, but whose life evidenced that he was not a true believer. Claude's funeral was conducted by a pastor who lived next door to Claude for a number of years. The pastor told of a day months or years previous when he had asked Claude if he knew the Lord. Claude told him that he had been saved years before and the pastor accepted it, possibly never realizing that Claude's lifestyle told the opposite story. At Claude's funeral, the pastor told the congregation that Claude was in heaven because he claimed to know Jesus. Our Lord warned us clearly in the passage we studied today that claiming to know the Savior and truly knowing Him are two different things. Pastor Jones has often thanked the Lord for burdening him not to accept his grandfather's claim to know Jesus, but to keep pursuing him for genuine salvation. Maybe you have told others that you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, but are you being completely honest? Does your life bear out the fact that you follow and obey Christ? Or possibly you truly know Christ yourself, but you have a loved one who claims to be saved, but whose life does not bear out that profession? You obviously cannot see a person's heart, so what can you do? You can start by asking God to intervene in your loved one's life and committing to pray for them, whatever their spiritual need. Pastor Jones began this study in our church about two years ago. You can see the original video sermons on our Facebook page in the Messages of Christ playlist. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at cockinsbaptistchurch.com Hawkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at com. If you would like to share this radio message with a friend, you can find a link to our podcast on our Facebook page. Just look for the radio bold icon on our feed. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.